0: You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. If you have your Bible, uh, turn to First Timothy chapter one. Today we're starting a new sermon series going through First Timothy. The title of this sermon uh, series is Blueprints, God's Design for the Church. If you've ever built a house or any kind of structure, hopefully you have some kind of blueprints. And God has given us his, made us a part of his church. We're going to talk about what the church is and isn't in just a minute, but God has designed the church to be laid out in a certain way. Now, I'm going to give you a warning here this morning. As we go through First Timothy, as we walk through this as a faith family, there are going to be parts of First of Timothy where our initial reaction is, "I don't like that," or "I've never seen it done that way in a church that I've been raised in or been a part of," or "That's not how I would prefer it to be done." That's not the way I would do it. And whenever we study Scripture, whenever we look at Scripture, we're confronted with that reality. Whether we're talking about God's design for the church or God's design for our individual lives. As we read and study Scripture, oftentimes we are going to be confronted with some realities. And when we look at those realities, we have a choice. We have a choice to say, I'm either going to believe this and I'm going to follow this, I'm going to trust this, or I'm going to rely on my own knowledge, my own self-sufficiency, my own self-esteem, maybe the, the tradition I grew up in, or maybe even what I was taught before I'll rely on God and His Word. One reason why here at Leewood we our sermons are based in Scripture. We, they're called, a fancy word for that is expository preaching. We go through books of the Bible is so that we don't ignore certain parts of the Bible. Maybe one day in a few years we'll get through all 66 books. Uh, hope you're around for that. Hope I'm around for that. But as we go through books of the Bible, it, it, what that happens is it, it, makes it, easy, it makes it hard for us to get on the soapboxes makes it hard for me to get on soapboxes. It makes it to where I have to follow an outline that God has laid out in his word. And so that avoids soapboxes, it avoids my own preferences in preaching and teaching. And so that's why we want to be people of the word. And so again, as we go through 1 Timothy, there might be something here where you and I are like, I've never heard of that before. That sounds odd to me. Why would God lay that out that way? And so as we approach First Timothy, let's, let's approach it as a faith family together with an open hand. Saying, God, you can place into my heart whatever truth you have for me. You can place that in my heart, and I'm not going to hold on to any, perceive, any preconceived notions I may have. So here we are in First Timothy. Let's get a, get a little background about First Timothy. First Timothy is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a guy named, what do you think his name was? Softball, come on. Timothy, there we go. Nailed it, that's right, nailed it. First Timothy is a letter written by Paul to a guy named Timothy. Timothy and Paul, while Paul was traveling around, planting churches, starting churches around the world, the globe, Timothy and Paul had met in Lystra And Timothy began to be mentored by Paul. Paul began speaking truth into Timothy's life. Paul was mentoring him, raising him up to be a leader in the church. So as Timothy matured in the faith, Paul began sending Timothy out on missions to different churches. During Paul's ministry, there was an issue that was popping up in a city named Ephesus. There's a book that Paul wrote called Ephesians, a book, a letter written to Ephesians, and a, a issue had risen up in the church in Ephesus. There was false teaching that was going on about Jesus there in the church in Ephesus. As we'll see in just a minute, there was false teachers that were infiltrating the church there, spreading false information, false doctrine about Christ. And so Paul sends Timothy To walk this dysfunctional church with bad doctrine through all of this. Timothy's a young man. He's a young guy. And so Timothy writes to, uh, Paul writes to Timothy a letter, a book about how God's church is to be designed. So we see this now. Paul writes this under the inspiration of God. Paul writes this, and now we have the benefit of it being in the canon of Scripture because we can now learn what is God's blueprint, what is God's design for His church. But before we dive into 1 Timothy chapter 1 this morning, I think we need to define and understand correctly what the church is. First, let's talk about what the church is not. Some of the preconceived notions that maybe we've grown up with and thought about what the church is. The church is not a nonprofit organization. The church is different than the YMCA, the Salvation Army, the Boys and Girls Club, a uh, city union mission, whatever your favorite charity and nonprofit organization are, and those are all great charities. I'm a little, I'm a little biased for the YMCA. I love the YMCA. Um, but whatever your favorite nonprofit organization, that is what the church is not. The church is not a community center. The church is not a place where we come and we gather and we play cards and we just get together to have lots of fellowship together, though there's nothing wrong with fellowship, and we'll talk about that in a few weeks. This is not, it's not a, just a gathering place for us to just visit with one another. It's not a community center. The church is not a building, God does not live here, okay? This is not God's house. We may have heard that phrase. This is not God's house. God does not live here because as we understand Scripture, God lives in you. God lives in me. So we are His temple. This is, there is nothing special about this facility that we're enjoying today. There's nothing special about the carpet, the bricks, the mortar, the wood, the shingles on the roof. There's nothing special about it. This, this is not, the church is not a building. It's not a place. The church is not a place. How many of you said today, and I'm guilty of it, I caught myself saying it even this morning, how many of you said this morning, I'm going to church? How many of you said that this morning, okay? I have to confess, I made that statement today too. So what is the church? What is the church? The church is the community of true believers in Christ. That's a simple definition of the church. Is, is The church is the community of true believers in Christ. So who is the church? It's a community. It's people that believe in Jesus and follow him. So If the church is not a nonprofit organization, it's not a building, it's not a place, it's the people. So, back to the little fun we're having right now. If you said, like me, I'm going to church this morning, that is false. Because you are the church, I am the church, and how can we go to something that we are? All right, so maybe we got to think of a more creative way of talking about that. But we don't go to church, it's not a place, it's the people we are the church. The church is global. There are brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a community of true believers all around the world. One neat thing about when we gather as brothers and sisters together on Sunday mornings is there are brothers and sisters all around the world in the last 24 hours, depending on the time zone, brothers and sisters all around the world that have gathered together to worship. So right now, we are a part of something much Bigger than ourselves. We're also part of, so the church is global, but it's also local. We're a, we are a local church. We are, we happen to gather to worship and make much of Jesus here at the corner of 83rd and State Line. So we are also local. We're global, but we're also local. So this is a community. The church is a community of people that believe in Jesus and to our, the best of our abilities, and we're going to talk about that as we go on, to the best of our abilities following Him. Within the church, God has designed it to be a certain way. And so in 1 Timothy, Paul, under the inspiration of God, writes, to, writes a letter to Timothy to help know how to best lead the church in Ephesus. And there's trouble going on in this church. And Paul's going to address it right off the bat. So join me um, in 1 Timothy chapter 1. We have a pew Bible in front of you. If you don't have a Bible and you would like to take it with you, that is a gift to our church. If you just like to, I'm going to be preaching from the Christian Standard Bible. And if you don't have that version in front of you, that's okay. But if you'd like to see it, uh, it'll be on page 646 in your pew Bible. And this is what Paul writes to Timothy in verses 1 and 2 is where we'll start. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and our Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. What's Paul doing in these two verses? In a long-winded way, he's saying, hi. He's saying, hello. It's good, this, good to write to you. But he's also establishing his authority to say these things, going on in the next verses and chapters. Paul's establishing his authority because he says, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus. I have the authority to say these things. Now, what were the qualifications of the apostles? One was you had to see the risen Christ. You had to be appointed. And so Paul is saying, I have the authority as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of our God and Savior to write these things. Because Paul's going write, to write some things, and we're going to want to know how, on what authority does he have to write these things. All right, let's keep going. Verse 3. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus... So that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine, or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. Now the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and turned aside to fruitless discussion. They want to be teachers of the law, although they don't understand what they are saying or what they are insisting on. So what is the main purpose here? What is happening in the church in Ephesus? There's false doctrine pointless things being taught. Now, we don't know, we don't have enough information is given here in in 1 Timothy to know what exactly the false teaching was. It could have been that there were some false teachers that infiltrated the church in Ephesus that maybe they were denying the resurrection of Christ. They could have said, well, Jesus wasn't resurrected. We don't have proof of that on down the line. That's, That's possible. This is just my own speculation. We don't know though. Could be that perhaps they were denying the virgin birth of Christ. Maybe they were denying the divine nature of Christ. Perhaps they were teaching, there's a common teaching in that, that day, that salvation was only for those people of Jewish descent. That only a Jew could be saved, not a Gentile, only Jewish people could know Christ. That they were God's chosen people. So maybe that was the false doctrine being spread. We don't know. We don't have enough information, but that's not the point. The point of this, this uh, book is not what was being, not what it specifically was being taught, but the fact that there was false doctrine about Christ was being used. The concern here is not so much even the identity of the false teachers. Paul doesn't call anyone out by name, he doesn't say anyone specifically. Paul just writes that there are some false teachers here, but their effect was in de- direct contrast, contrast to the goal of what the apostles' instruction was for. They were undermining the gospel. These false teachers slowly but surely had crept into the church and were beginning to undermine the gospel. The results of this false teaching was verse 4, empty speculations. There was empty speculations going on in this church. Verse 6, it talks about fruitless or vain discussion was happening in the church. And so then Paul then goes in to describe true teaching in verse 5. Look at verse 5 again with me. He says in verse 5, now the goal of our instruction is this: I appreciate this, I enjoy clarity. I like simplicity and clarity in life. The church should be clear. The church should be simple. And Paul immediately lays out here in verse 5 the goal, the purpose of their instruction in in, in the teaching. It says, now the goal of our instruction is love. Is love. So Paul's not saying, you know what? Timothy, just sweep this false doctrine, this false teaching, whatever it may have been, just sweep it under the rug, just keep loving on people, just keep letting it go. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying love them through instruction. The goal of our instruction is love. We instruct people out of a heart of love. So you say, Adam, what do you mean by this? Here's an illustration that might be helpful. I love my three kids you have kids, grandkids, you understand that feeling. Well, Mary Lane and I, we don't let our kids run with sharp objects with knives in our house, okay? Not because we're mean parents or we're trying to spoil their fun. Why don't we let our kids run with scissors or knives? Why? Because we love them. We're trying to keep them safe, so if one of our kids is running with a sharp object and we tell them to stop running and we take the scissors or whatever it might be and we put it on a high shelf so they can't reach it, we're doing that out of love. We don't want them to hurt themselves. Well, just when there's harmful teaching going on in the church, we have to address it. That's not mean. That's not harsh. That's love. Love. And the reason why God lays out, we're going to talk about the law and the, the Ten Commandments here in just a minute. The reason why God has laid out commandments and instruction for us in His Word is not because God hates us, it's because God wants the best for our life. And God says, in these parameters, life works. You will have joy, you will have happiness you live within these parameters, get outside these parameters, and life becomes chaos. And so Paul, Paul's writing to, to Timothy, as we instruct, we instruct out of a heart of love. One thing we have to be careful in the church is we don't instruct, yes, we instruct out of a heart of love, but not out of a heart of legalism. Because if we're careful, we can teach you, you check your boxes, you, you pray, you read your Bible, you serve in the church, you go to Bible studies and do all these things, and we create, we're really, really good at creating check boxes, and we think we're instructing, but really what we're doing is we're teaching legalism. Or if we wear certain clothes and dress a certain way, and we don't go to certain movies, and we don't say certain things, therefore we're right with God. Well, that's not love either. That's legalism. And so the goal of our instruction is life. And where does that come out of? It comes out of a pure heart, a good conscience, not any bad motives. It comes from a good conscience and a sincere faith. And so this true teaching is love. It comes from the pure heart, a good conscience, And the focus of false teaching, these false teachers that have crept into the church, is to lead to, as it says in verse 6, departing. What was happening in the church of Ephesus because of the spread of false doctrine by these false teachers, where some were beginning to depart the faith? They weren't understanding the gospel, they weren't understanding what was supposed to be happening in God's church. And so the focus of this teaching was to swerve or to wander off, while the focus of true teaching has an aim. And Paul's going to dive into the law here, and we'll define the law in just a minute, but it says that the advocates of this false teaching were without understanding. Verse 7, they want to be teachers of the law, although they don't understand what they are saying or what they are insisting on. So as I read this in verse 7, these false teachers may have been very well-meaning. Again, we don't know what their motive was. We don't know what they were teaching, who they were. But they may have had really good motives, may have been really good people but by the things that they were saying was in direct contrast to true teaching and to the gospel. And they didn't understand. They were ignorant. They don't understand what they are saying or what they are insisting on. And faith family, as a church, as the church, we must be very, very careful who we allow to speak truth into our lives. Because they may be extremely well-meaning. They may have a really good heart. But they're speaking out of ignorance. When I read this, this is a challenge to me to make sure that I am not speaking out of ignorance. Or not, not understanding what I'm saying or what I'm insisting on. If you're here this morning and you're a Sunday group leader, a Sunday school teacher, you are a community group leader, you are a children's teacher, if you have any kind of role of giving truth out, may we all be very careful that we are not speaking out of ignorance That if God has given us any kind of leadership role within the church, may we not be speaking out of ignorance or without understanding or without even knowing what we are insisting on? Because the church is a very precious thing. The church is a very precious thing, it's also very fragile. And if we have no idea what we're talking about, it can cause great damage. So let's all of us be careful that we are teaching true doctrine. We are staying true to the gospel, true to the mission and purpose of the church. Let's keep going, verse 8. But we know that the law is good provided one uses it legitimately. We know that the law is not meant for a righteous person, but for the lawless and the rebellious, for the ungodly and sinful, for the unholy and irreverent, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral and homosexuals, for slave traders, liars, perjurers and for whatever else is contrary to sound teaching that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which was entrusted to me. So Paul immediately dives into the law. He says, we know that the law is good. What is he talking about here? What is the law? Is he talking about the Declaration of Independence? No. Is he talking about the Bill of Rights? No. What is Paul talking about? Well, specifically to these people, he's talking about the law of Moses in the Old Testament, the, the Pentateuch, all right? So there's some really fun reading in Leviticus, isn't there? So Paul's saying the law is good, like we know that the law is good, provided that one uses it legitimately, See there was a new lo- there was the law in the Old Testament a law that God had given his people his covenant people Israel and said you do these things in order to worship me you sacrifice a lamb or some other animal for atonement of your sin you don't eat certain things you don't go certain places you don't do certain places but when Christ came and he died on the cross and was resurrected, there was a new law, a new covenant instituted. It's called grace, to where we don't have to follow those laws. That's why we don't sacrifice animals today. We're not going to bring up some chickens or handle snakes, or we're not going to sacrifice a lamb this morning at the end of this time. Why? Because Christ has already been the perfect sacrifice on the cross for us. There's no point in us doing that now. Because Jesus, as it says in Hebrews, that Jesus was the better sacrifice. And so you had this law and so it would be easy for these believers in Ephesus and even easy for us to say, well, the Old Testament is obsolete. We don't really have to pay attention to that. We don't have to worry about that. We don't have to read that. How many of you ever heard that to where we don't really have to pay any attention to the Old Testament? No, the Old Testament law is still very, very valuable. Why is it valuable? Well, look at verse 9 we know that the law is good provided one uses it legitimately. Like the Old Testament, the Mosaic law could be used illegitimately. It could be used in a way that could create a very legalistic mindset. But look at verse 9. It says, we know that the law is not meant for a righteous person, but for the lawless and rebellious for the ungodly and sinful, for the unholy and irreverent. So let's talk about this. Okay. We know that the law is not meant for a righteous person. Let's define a righteous person. Okay. In the book of Romans, it says, there's none that is righteous. No, not one. So when we think of Romans, we think, well, I'm out, right? I'm not righteous. I sin. We all sin. So we're not righteous. So we need some kind of righteousness because it says here, a righteous person. So obviously, just, just logically here, thinking logically, there has to be a way that we can have righteousness. So how do we get it? If we're unrighteous people, how can we receive righteousness? Whereas well, it's, through, it's through Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, he took his wrath of sin upon himself. He died. And then it says that when we we believe in the gospel, we believe in the work of Christ, then that, that righteousness is then credited to us. That righteousness that Christ has, if we believe Christ, that righteousness gets transferred over to us. I think of like a bank account. Sometimes I check Our checking account online and I think I want I want to wake up one day and look at our online checking account and say there's been a transfer of a billion dollars from a rich uncle you didn't have that you didn't know you had and there's a transfer there and I just wake up and there's there's a billion dollars there don't we all wish that that there's that transfer if that were to happen but yeah right more money more problems right that starts a whole another problem But if all of a sudden we were to wake up tomorrow morning with a great amount of money that just shows up in our checking account, our savings account, there's been a transfer. There's been a crediting. So when Jesus, through Jesus, and we believe in Jesus, that His righteousness is transferred over, it's credited to us, we receive it. All the benefits of righteousness, all of it. Not just part of righteousness, we receive all of that righteousness. So if you're here this morning and you realize that you are broken and you are sinful and your relationship with God is is shattered and there is you don't even know sure if God exists, listen, that righteousness of Christ can be transferred and credited to you. Well, Paul says the law is not meant for a righteous person. But the law is meant for the ungodly. And the sinful. So what role does the law, what role does it play in our lives? It shows us how sinful we are. Think about this for a second. Just, let's just start with the Ten Commandments. OK? Imagine the Ten Commandments. If you want to imagine the movie with Charleston Heston coming down from the mountainside, if, if you wish. When the Ten Commandments was given to God's people in Exodus chapter 20. What was the purpose of that? It can be easy for us to think that, that the, the Ten Commandments was given as a set of rules to follow, OK? Well, I honored my parents. I kept the Sabbath day holy, so I'll do that. So therefore, I'm good. That is not the purpose. The Ten Commandments is a mirror, was a mirror. For God's people to look into that mirror and see just how sinful they truly were. What was one of the Ten Commandments when Moses brought it down from the mountain? Do not worship any other gods before me. What were they doing? In Exodus 20, they were worshiping a golden calf. We think of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not covet. All of the Ten Commandments, if we broke it down for the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments is really, it's a mirror. And we look into that mirror and we realize, I'm sinful and I need Jesus in order to be right. That is the purpose of the law. And so Paul says down into verse 11 as we close this out, it says, we must devote to the sound teaching that conforms to the gospel. So the creaky phrase of this, as the church, we must be devoted to the sound teaching there in the verse 10, in the first part of 11, we must devote ourselves and hold tightly to the sound teaching that conforms to the gospel. Since we talk about blueprints... And the way God has designed his church. God has designed his church to revolve around the gospel. That in everything, the church would stay centered. On the gospel, the reality that Jesus came to die on the cross for the sins of world of the world was resurrected to give brand new spiritual life. Now that is just the gospel in a nutshell. It's much more broader. It's much, it, there's lot and lots of implications, but we must stay centered on the gospel. That in all things, everything we do, but really the church is not doing, it's being. Everything we are as the church must be centered on the gospel, making the gospel known, making Jesus non-ignorable so that our community and our world will follow and know Him. Individually, We must center our lives around the gospel so we can make Him known to the ends of the earth. Pray with me. God, thank You for Your church. We thank You for its design. We thank You that as the church, as Your covenant people today, that we are Your bride that You gave Yourself up for us. We are Your pride and joy. Thank You for that. And God, I pray that we would seek to be a church that is following in Your blueprints, in Your design. God, forgive us, because in our sinfulness, in our rebelliousness, in our own ignorance, God, oftentimes we make the church into what it should not be. God, oftentimes in our ignorance, we create this idea of church that really cannot, at times, not even line up with you. So forgive us for that. Father, I pray that we as a As a local church, we would join with the global church and that we would stay true to the gospel. I pray you would help us to avoid the temptation of legalism, but that in all of our teaching, it would be about love and instruction and wanting to see you so badly impact the lives of people. God, I pray that you would help us to get out of your way. Forgive us for being control freaks. And we pray that you would show us your design, your blueprints, for your church. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 8200 State Line Road in Leawood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com.